by somebody else. Maybe they just came today and they didn't really know why. But God, this is the opportunity that we have. And Lord, if we will step out on faith and we will seek your face and Lord, offer ourselves to you. Lord, we give you the ability to work and move in our lives in an incredible and miraculous way. Lord, perhaps today we can be freed from addictions. Perhaps today we can be freed from that sin that we've always struggled with. But God, we've got to offer ourselves to you. Lord, as the passage last week said, if we come out of the world, if we leave the things of the world behind and we seek you and we we pursue you, that God, you will come and you will walk with us and you will dwell within us. So God, that's the cry of our heart today. I pray that you would come here in this place, in this moment in time, that God, you would walk with us and that you would dwell within us. Speak into our hearts. Help us to serve you and to glorify your name. Jesus, we love you today. We thank you so much for the opportunity to be called sons and daughters of God. We love you and ask this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, don't sit down. Don't sit down. I don't want to play hopscotch or get you in your morning workouts today. But we are going to read the passage of Scripture, the main part that we've been reading, which is Matthew 6, verses 9 to 13. This is the Lord's Prayer. Read it with me this morning. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, guys. Sorry about that. I just didn't want you guys to be doing your morning squats and getting your blood flowing this morning. Anybody ever been to a church service where you just like stand up and sit down the whole time? Sometimes that's fun. Sometimes it's not. All right. I'm so glad to see you today. We're on our second sermon of the series. Last week, we started uh, talking about prayer and focusing on the Lord's Prayer. And so we talked about our Father in Heaven. And while it is very important for you to seek God and approach Him as your Heavenly Father, it is as equally important for you to acknowledge the simple fact of where he is, which is in heaven. You know, Jesus would not have said, pray this way, if there wasn't a reason behind it. And it may sound really trivial this morning for some of you to think, okay, well, God's in heaven, duh. You know, it's like, we know that. But when you really take and consider where your heavenly Father dwells and the fact that he is in heaven, it will change a lot about your relationship with him. It reveals a lot about him as a person, but it also reveals a lot about how we should be pursuing him and the reverence and respect and even fear that we should have for him because of all those reasons. And as we talk today, um, we're, we're going to be talking about a lot of several, not a lot, several theological things. And sometimes whenever people start talking about theology, people get scared and it sounds complicated. This stuff is not complicated, okay? But these are very simple direct beliefs that as a follower of Jesus Christ that you should have. 
and that you should be practicing in your everyday life in your pursuit of God. Because there is a, there's a call in our life. While, while we have to allow God to work and move in our life, we're also called to pursue Him. Right? You ever been in a relationship with somebody and you were doing uh, all the work and they weren't doing anything? You ever been there? It's kind of annoying, isn't it? Right? It's super annoying. That's not fun. God doesn't want to just be the one who's doing all the work. I mean, he wants to do a great work within you, but he also wants you to pursue him to engage in this relationship with him. And the more we pursue him, the more we offer ourselves to him, the more freedom and, and, and opportunities he gets to work in our life. And we've talked about this several weeks. God's not going to overcome your free will. God has given you a free will for you to choose. Any of you ladies in here ever had a guy pursue you before? Come on, don't be shy. All right. How many of you have ever had a guy pursue you before that you didn't like him and you didn't want him to pursue you? Right? That's the people we call stalkers. There's a fine line. You know, if, if the guy pursues you and you like him, it's romantic. If the guy pursues you and you don't like him, he's a stalker, right? But if, if you have this guy who's pursuing you and you don't want him to pursue you, you expect them to stop, right? Because then it gets weird. God is pursuing all of us, but if we reject him and if, he don't, if we don't want him to be a part of our life, he's not going to trump your free will. He, he's going to allow you to make your choice and reject him if that's what you choose to do. But if you pursue him, if you choose him... God does want to do a great work and move in your life, but we have a call to pursue him. So, as we pray to our Father in heaven, let's talk about some things. Point number one, you need to understand that God and heaven are eternally intertwined. You don't get one without the other. You with me today? Again, this may seem like, okay, James, like these are dub points. Like, what are you talking about? Stay with me. Most passages where people have visions of God, always deal with him being in heaven and being on his throne. And there's this great revelation to these people of how insignificant and inferior they are. And it always instills fear and awe in them whenever they see God in this way. But you have to be really careful because when you read Old Testament scripture particularly, and even some New Testament scripture, a lot of times it will talk about how these people, they, they see God or they speak to God and it's not always that they're actually seeing God, but they're seeing or speaking to an angel, a representative of God. But in Scripture, sometimes it will refer to them as It's pretty interesting. If you think that's cool, go look it up, research it, and just read about that. That's a different sermon for a different day. But in the times of Scripture where we have people who literally, they have visions of God, or they have these experiences with God and not just an angelic being, it brings about this amazing fear and daunting aspect and realization of the order of things in life, okay? And that's what you need to understand today. When you pursue your heavenly father, okay, it is intertwined with heaven and him. You don't get one without the other, all right? So let's just talk about this. How many of you want to go to heaven one day? All right, everybody raise their hand. There are some of you in here who probably are not professed Christians, like you're not saved. But if you sit down, and this, is, this will be good for you, if you just want to have a spiritual conversation with somebody and like initiate a conversation and, how, and witnessing to them and telling them about Jesus, all you have to do is just say, okay, let's just pretend for a second that the Bible is real, because we believe it's real, right? Like, you believe it's real, you believe it's true. And let's just say that the Bible is real, and let's just say there is only one, there's only Two things that you can do after life. You either go to heaven 
or you go to hell. Which one do you think everybody's going to choose? You got to participate. I'm going to make you stand up. Heaven. All right. We're going to do our morning squats. They're going to choose heaven because any person who's remotely sane is not going to say, I want to spend eternity where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and suffering and pain and constant torture. Like, nobody in their right mind would choose that. And, and so when you just look at it from a simple perspective of if there is only a heaven or a hell and the simple fact that people want heaven, all right, if, if they're willing to accept that, they're going to choose heaven. And, and you, you look at this and you say, okay, well, if you choose heaven, what does that mean? Well, if you get heaven, it means that you get God. But here's the problem. See, people start pursuing God because they want to go to heaven. They don't want to go to God. Like when I got saved, when I started coming to this church more than 20 years ago, I remember sitting in that pew about three seats from the front behind Henry. Henry would stand up and start yelling every once in a while. I was like scared to death. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know if the Lord was going to strike me dead or if Henry was going to give me a heart attack. One of those things was going to happen. And I remember praying for months, God, forgive me of my sins. Lord, help me, like, save me. Do not let me go to hell. I, don't, I remember Pastor Edmonds would just talk about heaven and hell, and he did a really good job of that. And I remember just sitting there praying for months, like, please don't let me go to hell. God, save me. Save me from my sins. And it was a long time before I ever felt like comfortable and secure in, in, in my salvation, my relationship with the Lord. But I started praying that prayer because I didn't want to go to hell. I wanted to go to heaven. You with me? And so we're going to talk a little bit more about this later on. But we have to understand as followers of Jesus Christ that the goal is not to go to heaven. The goal is to go to God. So when you start praying and you start initiating this relationship with you and the Lord, understanding that he is your heavenly father is super important and understanding that he's your, he's your father, but he's in heaven. And the goal of most people is to get to heaven, but the goal of a true follower of Jesus Christ is going to be to go to God. Heaven is just a benefit that comes with God. But the problem is, is there is no heaven without God because heaven is where God dwells. And so if you're sitting here this morning and you say, okay, I want to go to heaven, but I'm not like super confident in my relationship with Christ. I'm still struggling with sin. You know, I'm still doing all this stuff. You don't get to go to heaven by what you do or don't do or anything like that. You get to go to heaven because of God and what Jesus Christ did for you on that cross. Your path to heaven is through God. You got to go to God to get there. And you can't go to heaven without God. So the goal of us should be to go to God. And you look at Psalm chapter 11, verses 4 through 7. Now, this is King David, he's writing a psalm. I always like to pull some from Psalms and Proverbs and stuff like that. Just love those passages. But this is a man after God's own heart. Now, now think about David. David did some really stupid stuff. David was not perfect by any means. There were multiple times where it writes about the sins of David's life in Scripture. But it, said, it does refer to him as a man after God's own heart. And David was constantly writing songs and poems and prayers and, and just... There was so much about his life that was pleasing to the Lord, but there was an understanding that David had of God when it came to it. Look at what he said about it. He says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord still rules from heaven. He watches everyone closely, examining every person on earth. Now, I don't know about you guys. That's pretty intimidating. 
you know, you can't go anywhere today without having a camera, right? You ever think about that anymore? It's like if you pick your nose or something, like somebody's going to see it and they're probably going to make fun of you. It might end up on the internet, like you're constantly afraid something you do is going to end up on the internet. But like understanding that the Lord who dwells in heaven is constantly watching, he's watching and examining you. Now, several years ago, when I was teaching at Gaffney High School, one of my jobs was to go on Friday nights, and I sat with the offensive coordinator. And so you'd go to all these big houses. Now, you know, most of us are from Chesney or a small school around here. But you go to these big schools, these big 4 and 5A schools, and I would sit up in the press box with the offensive coordinator, and my job was to chart plays. Offensive coordinator calls a play. I write down the play. I write down what happens. I write down the yards, the success, or the failure that went along with that play. And so as we're going, and like he's asking questions, I'm like, what happened when we ran this? And I start having to give him information. And we're sitting up in the press box. Like we got the bird's eye view, okay? Like, and so while the coach is down there on the field and he's yelling to everybody and he, he's doing everything that he needs to do, it's the bird's eye view that's actually making most of the calls, whether you realize it or not. So he's on the walkie-talkie, talking up to the offensive coordinator, what should we do, how should we do this? And so the offensive coordinator is relaying the plays of what's working and what's not working. And you got to remember, like, when you think about your heavenly father, thank God he's not down here in the mess of what's going on down here, but he's in a place where he can see clearly. He not only knows what has been or what is happening, but he can take what has been and he sees what's going to happen and he can prepare you for that. That's the job of the eye view. When you talk about the eye in the sky, that's a football term. The eye in the sky don't lie. And so while we were up there and we are charting plays, there's like three or four other cameras that are filming various aspects of the field. You got the wide shot. You got your focus shots on different positions and stuff. And so not only are we doing stuff that relate directly to this game, but we're also getting footage, waiting to teach and get ready for the next game. You have a father who's dwelling in heaven, who's watching you, and he's not watching you and examining everything you do because he wants to condemn you and he wants to punish you. He's watching and examining you because he wants to lead you. Like you you have a bird's eye view that if you sit there and you continue to do wrong, like, because we used to say the eye in the sky don't lie. Players would swear. I used to do it when I was in school. You'd swear, I didn't do that. And then you'd go watch the film and the whole team would laugh at you while you're watching film. The coach just starts chewing you out. You have a heavenly father who's watching you and examining you. And not only does he want to reveal truth to you in these moments, but he wants to prepare you for things that are going to come. And you look at the verse, look at verse 5. It says, the Lord examines both the righteous and the wicked. That's kind of cool. You know, it's not like he's just watching evil people and he's just like, yeah, I can't wait to put, set them on fire. He's watching everybody. He, he, he's watching the righteous and the wicked. He's watching those who are doing right. He's watching those who are doing wrong. And he hates those who love violence. And in verse 6, it says, he will rain down blazing coals and burning sulfur on the wicked, punishing them with scorching winds. In verse 7, for the righteous love Lord's justice. I'm sorry, for the righteous Lord loves justice, and the virtuous will see his face. And so there's an understanding that as God is in heaven, 
that he is constantly watching what we do. He has the ability to orchestrate and lead and guide as we allow him to do in our life. And then there's a, a, a judgment and a punishment that's coming. The righteous will get to see his face and those who continue to do wrong, even though God has spoken to them and called them and, and convicted them and they continue to choose to rebel against him, they will face judgment eventually. And David understood that. He understood the advantages and the disadvantages of God being in heaven, the fact that God knew everything that he's ever done, the fact that God was watching him and blessing him in the good things that he was doing. You know, another cool thing about our theology is when you look at just Jesus Christ and our salvation and the fact that Jesus Christ had to come down from heaven in order for us to be saved. You know that? I mean, it's a very simple thought, but, but to understand that in the Old Testament, you had a group of people who were trying their best to obey the law and could not do it. And there was no way for them to get to heaven because there was no true forgiveness of sin. So in order for there to be a way for us to actually go to heaven to be with God, God had to come from heaven to earth to show us how to get back to God. And when you look at Jesus... And you look at everything that he taught, everything that he promoted, everything that he came to do on earth, he constantly talked about and pointed people back to the Father. He said, our heavenly Father, the Father, the Father. He was constantly pointing people back to the Father. And so for you to realize today how important that is, it'll it'll change your relationship with God. So in John chapter 6, verses 38 through 40, Jesus is teaching his disciples. Look at what he says. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. You remember this? Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, and he's saying, Lord, please let this cup pass from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. And so at the end of his life, Jesus is praying with his father, and he's saying, God, I don't want to do this. But if this is what you want, I'm willing to do it. And so Jesus, even in his physical life, when he comes down from heaven, there were things that he did not want to do, but he was willing to do them because it was the Father's will. And so God's will for you and me as individuals is to follow the example of Christ and to do God's will. And we're not always going to want to do that. Any of you just wake up every morning and say, I love doing the right thing because it's so easy. Isn't it usually the hardest thing to do? Don't sometimes it cost you to do the right thing? Absolutely. It's not easy, but we have to be following in the image of Christ. In verse 39, it says, and this is the will of God. So this is where it kind of gets a little comforting. And this is the will of God that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. So God does not want to lose Any of you, Jesus Christ died on the cross so that all people could be saved, and his will is not to lose anyone. You with me? You need to believe that. You need to have faith. If you're sitting here this morning, you think, I'm not worthy, I can't be saved, God can't do this, this can't happen, like I can't overcome this in my life. Yes, you can. Not you, God can do it through Jesus Christ, through the blood of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. God can do it. God's will is for you not to be lost, but for you to be saved and raised up on that last day. Verse 40, for it is my father's will that all who see his son and believe in him should have eternal life. 
and I will raise them up at the last day. God's will for you is to have eternal life. But in order to have eternal life, guess where you got to go? To God, not to heaven. You have to remember that heaven is a place that God created. Heaven is not the destination. God is the destination. So if you want eternal life, your goal is not to get to heaven. Your goal is to get to God. And so in this life, for you to realize and understand that as you're living and breathing every single day, to know that you have two main purposes that you need to be following. Number one, you need to be growing in your relationship with God as much as you possibly can so that you can prepare to be with him for eternity, right? So if you want to go to be with God one day, you probably need to get to know him now so it's not such a shock whenever you see him face to face one day. So your, 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 your purpose and goal in life should be to, to get to know God. And the second one is you should be a witness and minister of the gospel. You should be telling other people how to get to God. Not how to get to heaven, but how to get to God. Because most people just want to go to heaven. They want to find out what's the least amount that I can possibly do just to get there. I just want to get there. I don't care about mansions and crowns and rewards. I just want to get there by the skin of my teeth. Anybody ever been there? That was my college life. How do I get out of here by the skin of my teeth? I don't want to do any more than what I absolutely have to do. I just want to get out of this place. But it can't be that way with God. We have to know him intimately and personally. We have to go where God is. Heaven just happens to be where God dwells. But the goal isn't to go to heaven. The goal is to go to God. Point number two, acknowledging God in heaven will change you. You know, I said a while ago, anyone who had a true vision of God or a true experience with God, it changed them forever. So, so there's a couple examples I just want to talk about. The, the first one is Job. You know, Job is the most righteous man in all the earth. If you've ever, if you haven't read the book of Job, go read it. The first several chapters are really fascinating, and then like the last 30 are kind of boring. Can I say that, be honest with you? For like 30-something chapters, Job whines and cries. Any of you like to listen to people who whine all the time? It's so annoying, isn't it? All right, so, so Job gets, Satan goes before God. Satan challenges God with Job. Actually, God challenges Satan. He says, have you noticed my servant Job, most righteous man in all the earth? Satan says, well, you got this protection around him. You won't let me get to him. God says, okay, we'll go do this, and you can, you can go this far, but no further. And Satan goes, and Job makes an A. Then he goes back. God says, ha ha, what about Job? Like he did pretty good. Well, you do this and this and this, let me do this. And God says, okay, go do it. And then for like 30 something chapters, Job is sitting there whining. He's like, I haven't sinned. I haven't done anything to deserve this. I don't know why this has happened to me. And his friends are like, yes, you have. Like you've done something. God just doesn't do this. And like, blah, blah, blah. And so this whole time Job is whining for 30 something chapters. And then in chapter 37, after Job whines that long and you have to read it, God finally shows up and says, You've spoken enough, now you listen to me. And as God begins to speak to Job, and he's begin challenging Job, like, you thought you understood all this. You're the most, right, the most righteous man on earth, thought he understood all this stuff about God, and whenever God shows up and starts speaking to him, he says, I'm sorry, I, I repent. Job covered his mouth and refused to speak anymore. And Job said, I deserve everything I've got. God, I deserve to die. Like, I don't deserve anything. He, he put his hands over his mouth and refused to speak anymore. Because his understanding of God completely changed as soon as he realized the power and the majesty and just the, the fear of the Lord. 
and realize where he stood in the grand scheme of things. Another great example we have is Isaiah chapter 6, which I'm going to read from. Now, Isaiah, in chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, records his vision of the Lord. And it says, It was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord, and he was sitting on a lofty throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple, and attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And they were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. That's pretty weird, because a lot of us have a hard time imagining these being with six wings and covered with eyes and being all freaky looking and stuff. And we just have a hard time picturing that, right? But what Isaiah saw absolutely changed the aspect of his understanding of God. And you have to understand this because Isaiah was one of the most godly men. Like his book of prophecies that we have, Isaiah gives us more prophecies about the coming of the Messiah than probably anyone else in Scripture. I mean, I mean, this is a man of God. And he sees the Lord and he sees him in his majesty and he doesn't even get a full glimpse of God. Like He doesn't even see God's face. He just sees like a small portion of God in his majesty, in his glory. And look at what he says in verse 5. He said, it's all over. I am doomed. He sees God. He says, I, it's, it's over. I'm doomed. I'm a sinful man and I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. And in that moment, Isaiah fully realizes where he is on the totem pole of heaven and earth. And he's doomed. And so if you actually consider God being in heaven and understand what that means and you ever had that experience in your life, it, it brings about this realization of where you are on the grand scheme of things. And to know this morning that you can't understand or you can't neglect the need for us to understand that God is in eternity and everything about him is so much further above and beyond anything that we could comprehend. And that there's a fear that needs to be had there in our lives. We can't contend with God. We're only at his mercy. But the cool thing about God is, is that he always provides a way. You look at Isaiah, go home and finish reading the rest of the chapter. Mark it and go read it. Because Isaiah realizes, I'm a doomed man, I deserve to die. I, I, can't, I can't be in his presence and live. And at the same time, God always provides a way. And just like he took Job who ran his mouth and complained for 30-something chapters. He restored Job's home. He gave him children. He gave all his wealth back and everything else. I mean, he, he, he brought Job back, even though Job had made God angry. He, he brought him back. You look at Isaiah, he, restore, he restores him. He takes the coal from the altar and he touches his lips with it and he cleanses him so that Isaiah can go and deliver the message to the people of Israel that God has called him to do. And so you're sitting here today and it's like, man, it's really important to realize that like, yes, God is in heaven. Yes, we should fear him. And at the same time, he does provide a way for us to be cleansed and us to be ready to go and do the things that he's called us to do. And there's many of you sitting here this morning, it's like, man, I'm so simple. I just can't. I just don't feel right pursuing. I don't even feel right getting on my hands and knees and even praying to God. 
And that's exactly what Satan wants you to think, that you have no business being there. But that is exactly where God wants you to be. And God can cleanse you, but you have to go to him for cleansing. And you have to go to him so that he can prepare you. And it's not just about getting forgiveness of sin, but it's about figuring out the purpose that God has for your life. To know him more and to be a minister and witness of the gospel. Because a lot of us just don't feel, we don't feel worthy to tell other people about Jesus Christ. But God can cleanse you and make you worthy to do that. But you got to believe and you got to seek his face. Proverbs 9 verses 10 through 12. It says, fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Yes, we should fear God. Absolutely. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Young people, listen to this. No matter how young you are, no matter how old you are, you listen to this. Wisdom will multiply your days and add years to your life. Not knowledge. Knowledge is good. But if you really look at knowledge... You go back to Genesis 3, where did knowledge get us? The tree of knowledge brought us into sin. Wisdom is what benefits you. It adds years to your life. Verse 12, it says, if you become wise, you will be the one to benefit. If you scorn wisdom, you will be the one to suffer. And so if, if fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, if you scorn wisdom, basically you're scorning God. And you're going to suffer for it. And there's some people who are listening today, and it's like, you know, like, you have suffered as a result of choices and sins that you've done in your life. Like, God is not going to let you be happy and whole choosing things that you want. God is going to try to draw you back to himself where you truly can be happy and whole. He wants you to come to him. That's what his plan, that's what his desire has always been, for you to come to God. And if you love God and if you fear him, if you seek him out, you'll be the one to benefit from this in this life and in eternal life. Remember, the goal is not to go to heaven. The goal is to go to God. That's where we want to go. All right? Point number three, our Father in heaven can bring about the fullness of salvation. I'm super excited to talk about this because, you know, the first service, there's a lot of really good people in there, and I feel very confident in a lot of their salvation and a lot of their relationship with the Lord. And it's not that I don't feel confident with any of you, but I do know that the younger we are in our time, the less likely we have been to be raised in church and have an understanding of theology and scripture and things like that. It's just, it's just where we are in, in the world right now, Okay. So when I talk about the fullness of salvation, you remember when I said at the beginning, everybody wants to go to heaven, right? How many of you want to go to heaven? Hell? Heaven? Hell? Hell? Ah, gotcha. We all want to go to heaven. There is that natural desire where we want what is best for us. You with me? But when you think about even for most people, and I'm talking about for myself personally, when I first began to pursue God and give my life to him, I did it for selfish reasons. I did it because I did feel convicted, but I wanted forgiveness of sin and I wanted to go to heaven. You with me today? I did it for selfish reasons. Now, thankfully, I had people who were like speaking to me, pouring in my life, helping give me guidance and stuff like that, and helping me to, over time, 
develop a relationship with the Lord and to pursue Him and grow in that relationship with the Lord, I was very fortunate to have that. And not everyone has that. So, so most people at some point in time in our area of the world, we hear about the gospel, we hear about heaven or hell, and most people want to go to heaven, right? But the problem is, is that we say, Jesus, come into my heart, forgive me of my sins, help me to have eternal life, and we get chalked up on a numbers board for some church and turned into a conference somewhere, and the numbers look good, and we have all these salvations. And then for a lot of people, nothing comes after that. Like there's probably some people in this room right now, people who are watching online, who, who got saved as Jesus in their heart when they were younger, or, or maybe you weren't younger, maybe you asked Jesus in your heart, and it's just been a while, and then ever since that time, like it felt real. You with me today? Like it felt real. Like you, you felt like 100 pounds was lifted off your chest when you asked Jesus in your heart to forgive you your sins, and you felt the forgiveness, and you felt the presence of God at that time, but since then, there hasn't been anything. You just hit this dry spell. So I'm going to ask all my spiritually mature people in here this morning to testify. If you've been here today and you know that you're saved, but there have been times where you've walked through life in your relationship with God, and sometimes you just don't feel God like you do at other times. Anybody ever been there? Walked through a desert where it seems like God is a million miles away and you can't touch him. It doesn't feel like he hears you. It's just like, God, where are you right now? And there are times in our life where we feel that. And for a lot of people who get saved, they experience God in that initial moment, and they're happy to have salvation, they're happy to have forgiveness of sin, and all of a sudden it's just like, maybe nothing happens. Or maybe like it feels good for a while, and you, 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 you feel like you're growing for a little while, and all of a sudden you just kind of hit that desert season of your spirituality, and then it's just like, all of a sudden, weeks pass, months pass, years pass, and it's like, I haven't felt God move in my life in forever. I haven't felt God speak. I haven't felt God move. I haven't felt God. I haven't felt the presence of God. There hasn't been a desire to, to pray. I haven't had a desire to read my Bible. I haven't had a desire to, to go to church. I mean, I just, I'm not, I don't enjoy church when I go there. And it's like, I do it because I know I'm supposed to. And maybe you just don't enjoy it. And guys, I'm telling you, there's a calling on our life for us to pursue God in such a way that we get to know him. Because the worst thing for us to be is going to be like Isaiah or Job and sit there and pray and say, we want this, we want heaven, we want, we want to see God, and all of a sudden we show up and we're there and we're not prepared to be there, right? Any of you ever been on a, on a date or maybe like meet a friend or something and it's just, <clears throat> it's just kind of weird because you don't know them that well anymore. You thought you knew them and then you don't. It's super awkward. I went out with a high school friend here a while back. We were really good friends in high school. And we went out to grab lunch one day, hadn't seen each other in like 15 years. It was pretty awkward. Like we didn't have a whole lot to talk about. I don't want that to be between me and God. I want to go to heaven. I want to stand before God. And I want to know him whenever I get there. I want to be happy whenever I get there and not feel like Isaiah or Job. And we have to pursue God in a way, like I said earlier, God's not going to trump your free will. He wants to work and move in your life. He wants to change you. He wants to help you grow. He wants to deliver you from sin. He wants to deliver you from addictions. God wants the very best for you. But guys, we've got to come out of the world. We've got to give things up of the world. God said, if you'll come out of the world, if you'll give things up of the world, I will come live in you and I will walk with you. But we've got to come out. There's an expectation for us to do something in the process of that relationship. 
We're called to pursue God with all of our heart. And so when you look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-7, through 7, Peter's writing, and he's talking about the hope of salvation. Now, I'll, I'll get excited. As I say this, I want, I want you to stay with me. Because there's a lot of you in here who said, oh no, like I got saved, that's all I need. This is what the pastor told me. This is what the evangelist told me. This is it. I'm saved. I'm ready to go. I want to challenge you that after I read this and I say this, if if this isn't something you agree with, go home and read your Bible. If you don't agree with what I'm about to say, go home and read your Bible. Because I believe 100% that God's word especially in the New Testament, which talks about salvation, points directly to this aspect of salvation that we're about to read, and it affirms it over and over and over again. You with me? So follow along with me. This is Peter, and he says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Right? You receive Jesus in your heart? supposed to be born again. supposed to be a new creation because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead Now we live with great expectation as a follower of Jesus Christ. You should be living with hope and great expectation. Your life should not be sad. You should not be in a position in life where you just have nothing that you're you're living for. You don't have a purpose or you just don't have a reason to even get up in the morning. You should be living with great expectation. Look at verse 4. And we have a priceless inheritance. You have something to look forward to. God has prepared a place for you. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. For where I am, there you may be also. The goal is not to get to heaven. The goal is to get to God. But if we go to God, we have a lot of other cool things waiting on us. And and look at this. This is so cool. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about that before. But you think about this sinful world and how it's tainted with sin and our bodies tainted with sin. It has to die. Sin has to end. It has to cease to exist for us to be able to stand before God and be with him in eternity. And because God knows that, he's given us a way to be cleansed by that, our our spiritual bodies to be cleansed by that, and go to him with eternal life. But there's a place that is prepared for us, and it's in heaven, away from this world. It's pure, it's undefiled, and beyond the reach of change and decay. God dwells in heaven because that's a place that's free from the sin and the destruction of Satan and the things of this world. It's a place that he is preparing for you, and he's holding it for you. He's maintaining it for you so that you can have it. It's your inheritance. He created you as, and he's adopted you as sons and daughters so that you could have this and dwell with him. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation. Now, what do you think about that? Because when you look at Peter, he talks about, well, you've been born again, but he's protecting your inheritance and he's protecting you until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. And guys, I want to challenge you this morning, and I want you to understand today that your salvation is not just a one-time wham-bam, thank you, God. Thank you for getting me into heaven. Now I'm going to go live my life and do what I want to do according to my will. 
No, no, no. You look at God's word, you look at scripture, and, and I can give you hundreds of passages of scripture that talks about God and his purpose for our life to make us like Jesus Christ. And if Jesus Christ died on that cross, even though he did not want to, yet God's will be done, then we are called as believers in Jesus Christ to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, to seek after God in our life, and not our will be done, but the Father in heaven's will be done so that we can go and be with him one day. And he's preparing it and he's saving it for you so that you can experience that eternal salvation which is ready to be revealed on the last day. And in verse 6 it says, So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while. You with me? There are things that you are called to endure. Whether you're Job and you're the most righteous person on earth and you're sitting in this room right now and you, you are it. You are called to endure trials. These trials will show you that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So you're sitting here today, and you need to understand that God has called you to give your heart and life to him to be saved, to be forgiven of sin. And he's also called you to pursue him and follow in the footsteps of Christ and building his kingdom so that one day you have an inheritance to receive. Like as a Christian, we are investing in that kingdom. We're investing in that inheritance. When you witness to people, when you participate with the church, with the body of Christ, you are, when you build God's kingdom, you are building your inheritance that you're going to help receive. And when you look at what it says... When your faith remains strong, it will bring you. Not just God, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus is revealed to the world. Now that's cool. Because our whole life is all about lifting the name of Christ and and elevating God and bringing him honor and glory. But on the last day, when we receive salvation and we've invested our life in building the kingdom of Christ and being a witness and minister of the gospel, then on that last day when Christ is revealed, we will share in that glory and honor. Not because of what we were able to do. Stay with me. Because it's not about what you can or can't do. It's not about your talents and abilities. It's about pursuing Jesus Christ and allowing him to use you. Because there's a lot of people who are super talented and they do a lot of cool things. But Jesus said, you might have prophesied in my name and you might have cast out demons in my name and you might have done this and you might have done that. But depart from me because I don't know you. So you can't be focused on works. And you can't be focused on this checklist of all these things you can do. Remember, the goal is not to go to heaven. The goal is to go to the Father. And Jesus Christ came down from heaven to show us how to get to the Father. You want to go to the Father? You follow the footsteps of Jesus. He showed us how to get there. He made a way for us to get there, showed us how to get there. If we want to go to heaven, we've got to go to the Father through the steps of Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to do. So, man, I, I just think, you know, so many people just, they have that initial step in their faith. They ask Jesus to come into their heart, and then, like, nothing happens. It's like, okay, like, well, that's kind of where I am. Yeah, you know, I, I just don't feel like God's done anything in my life lately. I don't feel like there has been any movement whatsoever. 
Cry out to God. Seek your heavenly father. Ask him to speak and work and move. And don't be satisfied if he doesn't show up and just, oh, I've been here all along. And he just starts speaking to you. No, make a commitment in your life and say, okay, God, like I believe in you. I believe in your word. I believe in everything that you say. I believe in salvation. I believe in heaven. I believe in eternal life. I want you. And I'm going to do whatever I have to do so that I can seek you and find you. And even if I never hear your voice or I never feel anything again, I'm going to seek you until I die or you show up and we get this thing back on track to where we're going to be. But I'm committed to do that. There has to be a determination in our life where we want to see and know God so much that we're willing to set aside things and give up things in order to find him. A lot of times it's not the fact that we don't want God. A lot of times it's like we just don't have time to pursue him. And you may have to cut something out. You may have to get rid of something. You may have to choose to step out on faith in order to see that happen. But it's not like God is not there. God is there. He's always been there. I was reading something this week I thought was really cool. But it was talking about in the beginning, you know, God created light. God said, let there be light. But it's really cool how it wasn't the sun and the moon. You know, if you look later on, it's like day three or four or something. I can't really remember. But it's like on later days, like God created the sun and the moon. But in the beginning, God said, let there be light. And you say, okay, well, what's the light? Well, what does scripture always refer to as the light? Jesus. Jesus is the light. So in the beginning, God said, let there be light. It's like the the sun was created from the very beginning, before people were ever made, before people ever sinned. And it it speaks of in scripture, and it talks about how before the foundations of the earth were laid, that Jesus was chosen as the Lamb of God to be slain for the sins of men. That the plan for us to be with God has been there all along. The, 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 The way to God was created before we were and before we ever sinned. That's cool. And then you think about purpose. You think about, so maybe you're saved and, and maybe your relationship with God's pretty good. And you're just like, well, I'm just trying to find my purpose. I'm trying to find what it is that God wants me to do. Even our purpose begins in heaven. It doesn't begin here. You don't find your purpose here by, by seeking out worldly things and what you can do to offer to the world. Your purpose begins in heaven. You look at Jeremiah and, and the scriptures in Jeremiah 29.11 and how God, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you and I knew the plans I had for you, plans to prosper you, plans to make you a minister and, and a witness to the people of Israel. Like God knew that before Jeremiah was ever born. And you say, oh, well, he was just talking about Jeremiah. That was just his life. Well, if that's what you think, then you believe that. But I believe in a God who genuinely has a purpose and a plan for every single person that lives. And just because you don't find out what it is doesn't mean that God doesn't have a purpose or a plan for your life. All of Scripture points us to God. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. Your purpose was determined thousands of years ago when God created everything. But you have to have faith in order to seek God for Him to reveal that to you. And you with me this morning? You follow me? Because everybody wants to be great. Everybody wants to do something awesome. Everybody wants to feel like their purpose was to change the world. That's what everybody wants, most people anyway. 
But for us to seek God and say, God, even if my purpose is to just be here, to sing you praises, to seek your face, to have a relationship with you, and just help see one person get saved, that gives you more purpose than anything else this world has to offer. You, you look at Isaiah's vision of God, and there were these beings that just sit there 24 hours a day, all the time, forever, and all they do, God created them specifically to just cry out how holy and awesome he is. You with me today? It's like the goal is not to get to heaven. The goal is to get to God. The goal is to know God. The goal is to be with God, to have a relationship with him. And I just challenge you guys, don't just bank on this experience that you had with God years ago where you asked him into your heart and you felt great at an altar one time. Seek God and allow him to work and move in your life in a powerful way to, to not just this one-time experience, but where you are growing and understanding God more and more every day. That's his will for you. That's what he wants for all of us. We were created. When you look back at scripture, Adam and Eve were created because God came down and he wanted to fellowship with them. He wanted to walk, he walked with them in the garden. Like before they sinned, that was the relationship that God had with people. He wanted to walk with them and talk with them in the garden. He wants to walk with you and talk with you. He wants to walk with you and dwell in you. That's his desire for you. But as people, we have to be willing to fall on our hands and knees and just say, okay, God, I don't feel you right now. I don't understand. I, I know I asked you to forgive me my sins a while back, but God, I just, I need to feel you. I want to pursue you. And to do it in a way that said, God, I'm not expecting anything. Lord, teach me what that means. Teach me what it means to seek you. Teach me what it means to be your child. Teach me what it means to worship you. Because we may not fully understand what that means. We think we got a good understanding of it, but we may not. So many people in Scripture says, teach me your ways, O Lord. If there's a sin in my heart, reveal it to me. There could be sin in our heart. We don't even know it's there. And ask, God, reveal this sin to me. If there's something in here, reveal it. Cleanse me of it. Help me to repent to you. Teach me your ways. I think I know, but I don't know because we truly don't know God. But we should be trying to get to know him. And that's a decision that you have to make today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this day and this time together. And Jesus, I pray that you'd speak into our hearts as we leave this place. Lord, help us to understand what it means to seek you and to know that you are in heaven. And Lord, remind us that the goal is, is not to get to a place, but Lord, we're, our goal should be to get to you. And Father, the amazing thing is, is as long as we live in this physical life, we can't go to heaven. We have to die to get there. But God, as long as we live, we can have a relationship with you, and we can know you more, and we can come to you. And that is a great and beautiful and amazing thing. And I pray, God, that we would take full advantage of it. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Before you leave...